to the Humans of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are joined by Wasim Mushtaq. Currently, he is the transformation lead in financial markets at Standard Chartered Bank, delivering global change initiatives impacting all regulatory markets. And he is here today to tell us more. So welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. And Adi, yes, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So before we go into everything, give us a bit of an understanding about your role and your personal mission. I mean, I think you can have covered it in the intro. So my role is I lead a transformation initiatives in financial markets, and that's part of CCIB, which is the Corporate Investment Bank, and SCV, Standard Chartered. My transformations can vary. It depends the impact people, process, technology, data, platforms, regulatory adherence, compliance, and a few other things as well. And my delivery team, the ones that I focus on most or help me deliver are based kind of more on the other side of the world. So Hong Kong, KL, Singapore, Chennai, Bangalore. That's kind of where I'm focused at. But yeah, it's kind of your traditional transformation role in large-scale banks. And to answer the other point about the mission, that's quite a strong word, isn't it? Oh, my daughter asked, what do I do? And the best way I explained it was like, I'm a plumber. So what do you mean? I fix the pipes or like, you know, I put things together. I basically just fix things or I try to improve things or remediate things or resolve things. But far as back I can remember, you know, I'm going 18 years now, I've always been asked to improve, to remediate, to fix, to transform and a lot of that in the last 10 years has been about digital transformation. So in terms of my mission is, is really being part of that journey to digitally transform banking. I'm in financial services and I'm a big believer in, in stewardship. So as in leaving things better when you first found them um, and then handing it over to someone else. I also believe in not staying in the same role for too long, maybe one or two years max. I actually believe in succession. And that's part of like, for me, diversity inclusion is having succession plans and proactively ensuring that happens. So that's part of my mission as well, in terms of ensuring that I don't stay for too long and I move on. And I'm quite comfortable in that space now. For me, I don't have a, a protectionism. I just like, I trust myself and I trust I've always do the right thing. Like I'll be looked after. Really bold words and a great mission. And I love what you say about stewardship and thinking about what happens after you as well. And that's succession planning, because that's often something that's missed in the world of work. So as we're talking more about you and your career, share some of your successes with us. Yeah, I mean, you could probably tell from my accent, like I'm not from London. So, so I was born and bred in Glasgow. So I'm a glass region. I went to school there, played sports there, went to university there in college. And then I moved here back in 2007. I mean, for me, I had lovely memories of school in terms of sports and the cadets and the things of that nature. Like my dad worked very hard to put us into a good school. And I think I benefited from that. But um, like I wasn't the most academic in the beginning and I had to learn how my brain worked. And I think we'll get into that a bit more in terms of maybe the challenges. But I think in terms of my career, I started off in Abbey and then I graduated and did a master's in economics at the University of Glasgow, but I couldn't get a graduate role. You know, I tried my best, but it didn't happen. So I just took one of the first roles I can get in the same field that I wanted to work in. So I was like in a call center in business banking. But, you know, after six months of really hard work, like, you know, I kind of became, I would say, the deputy in terms of the team I was as managing the manager's complaints. 
you know, in terms of that area. And then I started to understand more of the business acumen in terms of not only just infrastructure, but teams and resourcing and processes and controls. I started to understand that point. And I started to realize quite young on in my career, what to do to stand out from the crowd. A lot of that was linked to like my thought process of being a hard worker because I knew I was never the most academic. So I always felt like I had to outwork people, but in the right way. I think for me, that was success. Coming to RBS in London and the Royal Bank of Scotland and Bishopsgate for me was another great turning point for me because I was consulting contracting there, but also I ended up getting, I think, three or four promotions in the space of three years. And that was probably unheard of there at the time. And because I was able to show my ability and deliver well, I was given more, I would say I was given more responsibility and someone that took a chance on me. And I think that's important. I've got a funny story about RBS, actually, which was that first in the interview, I came in 15 minutes early and then I logged register at reception. She said, oh, you're too early at the moment. I'll call the interviewer later on. So I sat down and then like 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, half an hour went by and I was like, are we not having the interview? You said, oh, we couldn't find you. We thought you left. So we told the interview that you'd gone. I was like, oh, we've been in the corner where you asked me to be. So then called by, at that time, the hiring manager. He said, well, seems still here. Do you still want to talk to him? And I was like, oh, I was, I was holding my breath. Like, oh my God. And she said, yeah, yeah, come down. So I had 30 minutes to smash that interview. I'd prepared for it for a few days. And like, you know, my career never started really <laughs> if it wasn't for that. But, but someone took a chance on me. And then, you know, I tried to pay him back throughout my time there. I'll pause there, otherwise I'll go on forever. <laughs> yeah, but it's great just to hear these stories and all the successes that you have just noted there, especially like how things have happened, because nothing happens easily, right? You sit where you're told to sit and then so easy they could have overlooked you and, and then you could have really had like not confidence in that interview and not been able to succeed. So it's great that you did. And I just think that everything that you have mentioned in terms of your achievements, I wanted you to share some of the challenges that you faced and the confidence that you've been able to build over the years as well. So I think the, the, the biggest challenge for me was when I finished school, uh, like I said, I wasn't that academic. I didn't get into the university I wanted to get into. So I decided not to go to university. I decided to go to college for a year. And I went to college for a year um, and I was doing HNC in computing. And that class was a diverse mix of people in their mid-40s, you know, who were coming out of jail or people who were like my age with two kids or three kids, you know, um, or people that were, you know, had a lot a difficult upbringing and it opened my eyes and it really made me realize that I was truly privileged and I, and I didn't really understand that and from there you know I did I completed the course which was like on average 12 months in nine months and I got a merit in every unit and from there that actually molded me and made me into a hard worker and I knew then when I went into the University of Glasgow that I wanted to go to study economics and computing initially I was going to not waste my opportunities. So I've tried to carry that along with me. So in terms of challenges, though, and I think it's a really good question. What I would say when it comes to, to challenges is that everyone looks at your LinkedIn profile or your CV and say, oh, you've done so good. It's great. This and that. No one sees the hard work. No one sees you coming in early in the office, having lack of sleep. No one hears about you being late, you know, saying no to your friends you know, or sometimes taking weekends out. And, you know, I'm not saying blood, sweat and pain, but it's kind of like that. No one sees that. Also, like I left Glasgow, came to London, I was by myself, you know, and I worked really hard. So there's that aspect as well in terms of just believing in yourself and also like kind of delivering. But for me, like 
nothing comes easy. I need to read something maybe twice to get it, you know, so I've kind of built that process into me. And, you know, I think, I think of my history as well, kind of universally. Like my dad, God bless him, you know, he, he was like a restaurateur. So, like, I worked with the restaurant with him when I was a young age. And also, you know, I worked in other companies as well, you know, in Glasgow before I came to London. A key thing for me, which I haven't mentioned yet, was when I was born and also in my early childhood, I had a very, very bad stammer. At that time, they used to call it a stutter. And I felt because of that, I either wasn't intelligent or not academic or not very bright or not very smart because I couldn't articulate my thoughts. I couldn't read out loud, you know, in school or, you know, in classrooms, you know, and I had to overcome that, you know, throughout my childhood and also my, I would say, my early kind of um, kind of late school years. It didn't help that all of my siblings were extremely bright, extremely intelligent, you know, and no one... And I, I felt like no one actually f expected anything from me, if that kind of makes sense to some degree. So I've always been my, my my hardest critic, and I've always known what I can do and what I can't do. And I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question I don't know, I'll tell you, but if you ask me again tomorrow, I will know. You know, so I try to take pride in that, like always learning um, and always have that kind of curious mindset. But challenges for me, though, is that nothing comes easy. Nothing has come easy. I've always had to work twice as hard to get half as much. And I'm okay with that. Honestly, that's made me who I am. So powerful hearing you share that story. And I think that that will touch a lot of people that are listening, especially that part of, you know, people not expecting much of you, but how you've used that to really drive yourself forward. And I really relate to what you said there about, Someone could ask me a question today and I don't know the answer, but ask me again tomorrow and I will. And I really like that because I think that's all about how we can be putting ourselves into situations where we're growing and learning continually. And that's obviously how you have built your entire career. And there's been a number of things that you've said here in the chat. You've mentioned a couple of times of people giving you a chance. I know that there's a a huge amount of paying it forward that you have done in your career. You've got lots of mentorship experience. I kind of feel like you're starting to go full circle where other people gave you a chance. You're now giving others a chance. So I want you to share some of that with us. I'm really passionate about this. I've always have been. I didn't know I was, but I guess there is a teacher inside me somewhere. It's because I'm always wanting to learn as well. Someone took a chance on me once in my career, but also people have been taking chances on me, I guess, from day one, right? Whether it was my rugby coach or whether my someone in school, you know, like... You know, I did well in terms of like the more of the social aspects in school. But the reason why I think it's so beneficial and important to help where you can and give advice and also listen is because when you've got experiences and you think or feel those experiences can be shared and you see other people struggling or looking for guidance, you should offer it. And yes, it does take time out of your day. Yes, sometimes you have to fit it in, but it's worth it because first of all, it keeps me humble. It also re-energizes me because I see other people starting that journey or going through that journey that I've been on. But you also, it helps you appreciate where you are now, where you've come from and the journey that has occurred for you so far. I, mean, I used to tell one of my mentees and I still do about looking yourself in the mirror and being happy with the person you are and ensuring that you are paving the way for someone that's helped you. I mean, I've got I've got two young kids, you know, and for me, I don't just want to be their father. I don't want to be just a friend, but I want to try to be a mentor to them as well. 
um, and help them through their struggles because their struggles will be different to mine. One of the things I, I have realized when it comes up all about this and paying it forward, that it, it always comes in circles. It's always swings and roundabouts. Sometimes the more you help someone, um, you benefit more. And I have found that because when I've been giving people advice, I've kind of listened to myself giving the advice. Now I've thought to myself, I should be doing more of that as myself, right? So then I will like re reflect on a mentoring session. And I think the things that I said, you know, check myself and then make sure I'm doing it as well. And, and like I said, like that's about me looking in the mirror, but it's really important, you know, for me. And I, I hope to do more of it. And for, for me, a testament of my mentorship is that I mentored people who are now more senior than me. And I've seen them on that journey and I'm so happy and proud of that. So I'm, I'm their silent kind of, you know, cheerleader in the back because, you know, for me, and they've come, come to me and told me so much that if it wasn't for me challenging them, opening their eyes and really kind of listening to them, their pains and their struggles and also their successes, that they wouldn't have thought critically on, on certain things that happen in, in their life. And the one thing I want to mention about working hard, one of my sports coaches when I was young kind of told me that there's two types of people. The one person is, is when you're losing and having a hard time, you give up or you, you're losing and have a hard time and you try harder. And he would trick me sometimes in terms of, and I would be in one team, we were winning, then he would switch me to the other team, you know? And he'd want to see how people reacted to that. Some people would be angry that they got switched. Other people would say, no, let's work harder. So, and I've always trying to, I've always thought about that actually. And, and so there is something in me as well that I want to work hard, I want to help, and I want to do more. But also I like to do behind the scenes. I don't like to talk about it too much. Um, for me, being a servant in terms of like a leadership or, you know, being supporting is more about taking a back seat. I'm helping other people shine. And I, and I try to do a lot of that, but in the background, obviously, that's why I don't focus on it too much in my LinkedIn profile. I try to keep that kind of on the down low. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really powerful stuff. And it's all it's all connected to something that I'm very passionate about, which is this inclusive culture creation. And I know that, you know, in previous conversations, we've spoken about this and it's important to you as well. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I think when I started me 18 years ago, you know, diversity and inclusion or inclusion culture or all that kind of stuff, it wasn't really a topic, you know, not even in HR, just in the workplace in general. As you know, we've seen like with the life struggles and more kind of societal issues, you know, and global issues. It is a talking point and it's right that it's a talking point. For me, you know, when I think about it, I've been a strong proponent of this from day one, not knowing what it was, right? But there's a lot of people that perhaps feel slightly unnerved by it. They don't know where to start. They're, they don't want to say the wrong thing. And because of that, they might not ask a question. I say there's no such thing as a silly question if your heart is in the right place, because people understand that it's, it's a learning curve. For me, inclusion and having an inclusive culture and, and creating that, it needs to be part of, I would say, like the company manifesto. So it does need to start from the top in terms of the direction, but it doesn't work that way. It needs to kind of, it, there's a mixture between the bottom up and the top down. And what I've tried to figure out in my teams is that I've always wanted diverse talent, whether it's men or women, whether it's regional backgrounds, whether it's more cultural differences, whether, and, and I've always thought, looked at cognitive bias as well when I'm doing or, or hiring, because I want people to think of things in different ways, because when you have a diversity of thought, 
you have better teams, you have better questions. And if you've got different people thinking of problems different ways, you usually come out with better answers. I've always been a big proponent of that. So I, so I, like, I always try to balance the EQ with the IQ. If I have like a very high IQ team, I want, I might hire someone with like a stronger EQ and vice versa. And just to have that balance, you can't have everyone also, cause you know, like cognitively, when you are hiring someone, you probably look for someone that's just more like yourself. So I, I'm kind of aware of that. And I, I try to hire people that are not like me, to, so they will challenge me as well. So yeah, I think that is really important. And I think the one point on this that I would say is that when you're recruiting and also when you're building teams, the psychological safety is really important, especially like I work in transformation. We need the ability to be able to fail. And it's not a bad thing. It's like it's learning. You know, I read a quote about Thomas Edison. I don't know if it's exactly true or not. They supposedly failed like a thousand times before he got the light bulb on. He was interviewed, so I didn't fail. I just found out a thousand times what doesn't work, you know, before I figured out how it does work. And I think that's a lot in general in terms of where we are. We're figuring out things that work. You can't use it holistically across everything. It may work for a minutia, it might work for a silo. But the reality is that we always keep learning and adapting. As long as we have that open mindset, and we are listening to what's going on and then reacting to it. I think that's the best way. You can be proactive, but the problem with being proactive is that you may go down a path that you think is right, but then by the time you deliver it, it's not right anymore. And I've had that in transformation programs where it takes 12 months to deliver something, and by the time you deliver it, nobody wants it. So it's just one of these things. You have to find the balance. But yeah, really important to me. And it should be part of everyone's framework when leading or building teams or even just applying for jobs, honestly. And do you know what? I love the way you talk about it. And you've just hit the nail on the head because your experience is in digital transformation, right? And actually what this podcast is about is about how do we transform an industry to be thinking about people transformation, inclusion transformation, and just your perspective on all of it. You're so right because there's so many people that look at inclusion and they just feel so overwhelmed because there's so much that we need to change. They don't know where to start. And you're right. You've got to kind of choose your battles. What can you change right now? What's going to be relevant for the team right now? So this kind of takes me quite nicely to my last question. I always intro these podcasts saying that we are here to walk the talk. There are podcasts where we talk, but also I want people to take away action points that they can go and implement. And I think that you've you've shared so many with us already. But if there was one more thing that you could share that you'd want people listening to this podcast to go and do to really drive forward workplace inclusion, what would that be? I would say like an appreciation that you should do your bit. And for me, do your bit has always been, and I was raised this way, was to speak out against any forms of oppression. Do not let someone be treated in a way that you would not want to be treated yourself. And it takes courage to do that. And sometimes you have to stick your neck out in the firing line as well, but be comfortable in that environment and be comfortable with, with the consequences. I've had that a few times where internally there were discussions about hiring and promotions. And I felt someone is being prioritized over someone else that because they were more quieter nature and they, they weren't so outspoken that it was okay potentially to move them to the side. But I said, no, and that shouldn't do that. And people were frowning on me because I said that, but I didn't care because that was the right thing to do. And so I think, honestly, I think that's a key thing for me and have the, have the courage to do that. I think psychological safety is important as well. But sometimes even if you don't have it, I would say just do it because what is the worst that's going to happen if you're standing up for the truth 
and you find standing up for something that's correct and what is means something to you. You know, if you don't stand up for something, you will fall down for anything. And that's something that I believe in as well. Apart from that, I would say support as many causes as you can and as that you're comfortable supporting and be an ally. And also be honest and keep learning. Like you won't know it all. I don't know it all. I'm fully open to the fact that I need to keep learning and keep and keep developing my insights and knowledge about that. And you do that more by listening than by talking. So, you know, and, you know, that's why I, like, I think my wife is very good in this. My child, you know, my daughter, she's seven. She's really good at this as well. And I love just hearing from her perspective because at the end of the day, you're trying to make the world a better place for the next generation, you know? So I'm invested in this as well because, you know, like I have a daughter and a son. I want my both of them to have equal choice and equal opportunities, you know, and the choice to decide what they want to do and what not to do. And gender, race, you know, your background, you know, it shouldn't really be a criteria for that. So I think, you know, and honestly, like, just be honest with yourself as well. I think, you know, and it's a journey, you know, and that's what I would say, honestly. And that's how you walk the talk for inclusions. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a fantastic podcast series. So thank you for giving us your history, your background, your knowledge, some of your personal stories, and teaching us about how transformation can help us transform the culture of an industry. So thank you, Asim. It's been great having you on the Humans of Fintech podcast series. Thanks, Nadia. I was very appreciative for you to invite me. But I wouldn't say I was teaching you guys. I'm always learning. But if anyone takes anything from this, then I think that's great and I appreciate it. Anyone that's listening, if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, probably the best place to get me. And then I'm always happy to connect and, and catch up afterwards. <laughs>